Welcome to Broken Buttons, a show spotlighting underappreciated bands, artists, and releases. My name is Dennis Proctor, and each episode I'll cover a collection of buried treasures that I don't think get enough attention. In this episode, an ex and Tom Waits inspired singer songwriter who also happened to be mentored by a Waits confidant. Whoa! It's like a DJ thing, thing. And then, as one of the best MCs, period, she dominated underground rap throughout the 2000s and now has more jobs than you could realistically fit on a resume. As always, to hear the full songs I play in this episode, you'll have to listen on Spotify Premium or Mixcloud. If you're hearing these somewhere else, you'll only get short clips. If you like what you hear, please support the artists I cover by buying their stuff. This is episode 5 of Broken Buttons. Let's do it. When it rains, I throw up my windows on a cold dark day. Have you ever bought the wrong record? Like you intended to buy something that sounded like one thing and you accidentally grabbed something that sounds very different. I don't know if this happens anymore, but I believe it was quite common years ago. Imagine hearing an artist on the radio and being blown away. You go to the record store, find the plastic divider with the name of whom you're looking for, but you can't remember the name of the album or even the song. Remember, you don't have a tiny computer in your pocket. You're too nervous to ask the store clerk for fear of looking stupid, so you roll the dice. I know it was someone called Neil Young, but there are a thousand Neil Young records here. Hey, this pink one looks cool. That exact scenario didn't happen to me, but that album, Neil Young's Everybody's Rockin', happened to be the most played Neil Young album in my house growing up. So for years, I thought Neil Young was a rockabilly revival act. In reality, that was one of several oddball records Young released during a tumultuous period with his record label to fulfill contract demands. I still love that record, though. Our first featured artist, Eleni Mandel, did live out that exact scenario of buying the wrong record, though. She shared the story during a segment of the show Bullseye with Jesse Thorne, where she described seeing Tom Waits on MTV late at night. This was back when MTV still cared about music. It was either 120 minutes or IRS is the cutting edge. This would have been around 1984 or 1985, so right around the time Waits' masterpiece Rain Dogs came out. When she went to the record store, though, she picked up the 1976 Tom Waits Asylum release, Small Change, instead. Now, Small Change is a great Tom Waits album, but it sounds nothing like the drastically reimagined sound and musical approach he had begun to employ starting on 1983's Swordfish Trombones, something Tom Waits called his junkyard orchestral deviation. The spare off-kilter percussion, moaning trombones and muted trumpets, marimba, plenty of marimba, experimental instruments mixed in everywhere, megaphones and CB radios, trash can lids, this is the sound Eleni was looking for. We felt a night for Singapore, where all is mad 
inside, she got lush strings, delicate piano, cinematic swells, and a melancholy wail. She got this. Wasted, wounded, taint what the moon did. God would have paid for no. See you tomorrow, if Frank can borrow a couple of bucks from you to go. Still awesome but not the same. She credits the experience with changing her life. She grew to love both sides of the Tom Waits coin. The jazzy piano man in the smoky whiskey-drenched nightclub and the eclectic experimental carnival barker that she had her first encounter with on Late Night MTV. You can hear that deep appreciation and influence for the full Tom Waits spectrum injected and swirling through Eleni Mandel's own spectacular catalog that spans more than 20 years now. She's got plenty of experimental weights, especially in her early catalog. And quite a bit of the jazzy nightclub vibe as well. Moon glow, lamp low, all I need is a rainbow. Just like sugar. There's also some folky Elaney mixed in, and even some country. I stopped looking for your big blue eyes when your taillights blinked. You were rolling out of sight. There was nothing I could do but go driving with a man of the same blue eyes and some money in his hand. Tell me why. You'll notice that Elaney's voice doesn't sound like Tom Waits, though. Did you notice that? It's less of a deep, gravelly howl and more of a rich Chrissy Hine croon. Spin compared her to Chrissy Hind and PJ Harvey. Rolling Stone compared her captivating melodies and witty lyricism to early Elvis Costello. While she doesn't have the Tom Waits whale, she does specialize in his particular brand of character song study. Like this first song we're going to hear. The first track off Eleni Mandel's second album, Thrill, released in the year 2000, this is Pauline. Pauline, more than a memory girl Gotta tell you what was a cold blue sofa and an oriental rug When your man got down and your man told me let's go Pauline, more than a memory girl Gotta tell you Pauline from Elaine Mandel's second record, Thrill. So how did this remarkably unique singer-songwriter get her start and pull together so many interesting influences to create the sound we just heard? Eleni grew up in the Sherman Oaks region of the San Fernando Valley, Los Angeles. She started playing music when she was just five, beginning with the violin and then moving to piano. Eleni didn't love playing either, but continued to take lessons until she was 13. She remembers wanting to learn to write songs early on, but didn't have the first idea how to approach it, especially on the violin. She jumped from violin and piano to guitar as a teenager. Her parents exposed her to a variety of musical influences. Her mom would take her to musicals, and her dad, a serious record collector, played her Hoagy Carmichael and plenty of jazz standards. 
She loved the Beatles and remembers Diana Ross making an early impression. Another early life-changing moment came when she discovered the Los Angeles punk band X. X were huge in LA, and their first album, called Los Angeles, was the first record Elaney ever owned. Or maybe the first she ever asked to own. The first record she was ever given was Sean Cassidy's Greatest Hits for her fourth birthday. The first she ever purchased with her own money was X's third release, Under the Big Black Sun. She tells a story of when she was out record shopping at a place called Aaron's Records, located on Melrose, and to her utter befuddlement, came face to face with John Doe, lead singer of X. He was shopping for records too. She quickly snapped up a copy of the band's third album and asked John to sign it. He did. She still has the signed album, which reads, Yours, complete with a big X, John Doe. That was the last autograph she ever asked for. It was not, however, the last time her path would cross with that of the band X. When she was a little bit older, she met Chucky Weiss, songwriter, rock and roller, beat poet, and peculiar Tom Waits associate, also the subject of the song, Chucky's in Love. Yes, that Chucky Weiss. Waits was in a relationship with Ricky Lee Jones, Waits, Jones, and Weiss all lived at the seedy Tropicana Motel in Los Angeles. One day, Weiss up and left out of nowhere. Sometime later, Chucky called the apartment where Jones and Waits were living. He explained to Waits that he had moved to Denver because he had fallen in love with a cousin there. Waits hung up the phone and announced to Jones, Chucky's in love. Ricky Lee Jones liked that so much that she turned it into the song we just heard. Who is this episode about again? Oh, right, Elaney Mandel. Anyway, Elaney Mandel met that Chucky Weiss when she was not yet 21. Still, she had a friend who was able to get her into the Central, a Sunset Strip club that would later go on to become the Viper Room. This would have been around 1990. Weiss was playing there every Monday. Here's how the write-up on Elaney's original website describes her first encounter with Weiss. Quote, the first time she ever saw Chucky Weiss perform, he walked right up to her and smiled like a cross between the Cheshire Cat and an escape mental patient. She met him a month later at Musso and Frank's. Unquote. Eleni says that she was at the famous Hollywood restaurant and recognized Weiss. She worked up the courage to approach him and told him how much she loved his show. He asked if she wanted to accompany him to meet up with a friend at Cantor's Deli. She agreed. When they settled into one of the landmark eatery's iconic red vinyl booths, in walked her hero, Tom Waits. What a night. Tom asked Chuck how he and Elaney had met. Hebrew school, he declared. Here's a tune from Elaney's debut album, Wishbone, released in 1999. This is Sylvia. When the river runs wild And the big fish quarrel See me, he calls me bad name. When the water is high, 
from Eleni Mandel's first album, Wishbone, that was Sylvia. Under Chucky Weiss's mentorship, produced by John Bryan and self-financed by Mandel, Wishbone, as well as her next several records, received strong reviews and drew comparisons to Tom Waits and PJ Harvey in style. Before Weiss mentored Mandel, he hired her as a door person at his club. She said he would test her to see how tough a door person she actually was by trying to grab the money out of her hand. Weiss would continue to mentor Eleni over the years, and they're still friends to this day. For her fourth album, Mandel shook things up by diving into traditional country. A mix of covers and original, 2003's Country for True Lovers is an exciting update of her sound. And one of her life-changing moments came full circle. Weiss introduced her to former ex-guitarist Tony Gilkison, who produced the project. She also stacked the sessions with all-star players, including Nels Klein from Wilco and another ex-hero, drummer DJ Bonebreak. It's raining so hard. Eleni continued to mix and mesh genres on her next release, 2004's Afternoon. From the No Depression review of that album, Quote, last year's Country for True Lovers found Los Angeles chantreuse Eleni Mandel turning her sights on twang rather than her previous, more P.J. Harvey-oriented material. And she received plenty of critical acclaim in the process, sharing the L.A. Weekly 2003 Songwriter of the Year Award with the late Elliot Smith. On Afternoon, her fifth album, Mandel combines her love of various genres, including country pop, jazz, and rock, to stunning effect. Produced by Joshua Grange, who also lends his considerable talents on guitar, pedal steel, Hammond organ, and piano, Afternoon mostly takes the slow and sexy approach. I've been fooled, and can't you see I'm soulful give Mandel the chance to show off her breathy but passionate alto, which can devastate in a heartbeat. Mandel does rock out from time to time, as on Easy On Your Way Out, which has a grungy Elvis Costello gets on with Liz Fair feel to it. I want to be your afternoon. I want you coming back for more, Mandel sings on the sort of fun, sort of sad title song, unquote. And she can also write catchy singles, like this song from Afternoon, Let's Drive Away. Let's drive away, let's hit the road. The spotlight to the pretty boys and girls See the fireworks glitter through the smoke Let's drive away, say, here we go That was Let's Drive Away from Eleni Mandel's fifth album, Afternoon, released in 2004. That song was also featured on the TV show Weeds. And here comes the challenging part of covering an artist like Eleni Mandel who's put out consistently solid albums for over two decades. There's not enough time to feature all the good stuff she's produced, but trust me, over her 11 albums, she always delivers. From the diverse, shifting sounds of artificial fire... ...to the smooth and breezy dark lights up... You gotta stay up late If you wanna get lucky Laney whirls a magical combination of jazz, folk, pop, country, and rock with just enough experimental twists to keep everything fresh. 
She's also branched out from her solo artist gig to release two albums with her band, The Grabs. I don't need your sympathy The grabs allow her to exercise more of her pop side and features Eleni on vocals, Blondie bassist Nigel Harrison, and Silver Sun pickups drummer Elvira Gonzalez. And she's also released records with the Andrew Sisters-inspired supergroup The Living Sisters with Anora George, Alex Lilly, and Becky Stark. How are you doing? How are you doing? What about you? I'm fine too. I'd recommend checking out all of this. So now that we've established that the Eleni Mandel Road is paved with the goods, let's skip ahead to focus on her most recent release, 2019's Wake Up Again. Here's what Eleni and her website have to say about the latest release. For two years or thereabouts, Mandel says, I taught songwriting at two colleges and a women's prison. The prison gig came about via Jail Guitar Doors, the organization founded by Wayne Kramer, guitarist for the vaunted Detroit band the MC5, in partnership with English musician Billy Bragg. I don't know exactly why I was drawn to that work, Mandel says, but I had a family member who had been in prison in the 1940s. He wasn't around when I was growing up, but that sort of fascinated me, and I always was curious about what kind of person disappears and what kind of person commits crimes. What are they thinking? Unquote. Working with inmates also provided many epiphanies for her as a person, and proved fertile for her as an artist. As captured in the 11 songs on this album, her 11th studio release. In many ways, it's the culmination and fulfillment of all the strengths as a writer and a performer, going back to her start under the tutelage of Chucky Weiss, Tom Waits, and other top chroniclers of People in the Shadows. I really enjoyed it, she says. I was inspired by the stories and surprised by the laughter I heard there. And I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was, by how many different kinds of people were there. Teachers, lawyers, nurses, and also people who grew up in poverty. Unquote. Here's a song about one of the women she met during those songwriting classes she taught. This is Evelyn. Evelyn from Melanie Mandel's most recent album, Wake Up Again, another great addition to her expansive, impressive catalog. The album is filled with rich character studies and deeply personal self-examinations. Her early Tom Waits inspiration continues to ignite and propel her even after 11 albums. Only now, she can call Tom a longtime friend. And Tom Waits? I have gotten to spend a little bit of time with him uh, through our mutual friend, Chucky Weiss. Back in the day, I used to work the door at Chuck's shows, and one night Chuck called me and said, Tom's coming down, bring your guitar, I want you to play for him. Tom was just so sweet to me and encouraging, and I really credit him for keep the vo- being the voice that kept me going for many years during all of the uh, failed 
in an industry showcases. <laughs> I, I kept hearing him say that was beautiful. Oh, it was a great song. So yeah, that was exciting. And she went from obsessive punk rock X fan to counting a member of X as a member of her own band. What a cool, thrilling ride she's had so far. Elaine Mandel. Coming up next, one of the most skilled MCs to ever pick up a mic who continuously reinvents herself as anything she wants, and she does it all well. they're working on a new album. Little by little, information starts to trickle out about the upcoming project. Maybe the band gives clues to the style and feel of the new tunes they're working on. Perhaps they give an interview citing some of their recent influences and inspiration. They might even preview the album artwork, or the title, or the track listing. Then suddenly, with months to go before the official release date, someone tweets that an advanced version of the album has been leaked. The link's right there. Do you click it? Do you listen to this unofficial version of the album that you've been dying to hear? It's been happening since the album rose to prominence in the 60s. Bob Dylan's Great White Wonder is said to be the first album leak. Originally thought to be a new album he was working on, The Great White Wonder turned out to be a poor fidelity version of songs that Dylan had recorded with the band, mostly demos of songs he recorded to pitch to other artists that would eventually end up on the basement tapes, cobbled together with early demos and other random outtakes. Be my candy man, I'll be your solid dog. In the case of Dylan, it's unlikely the Great White Wonder League hurt him financially in any way. In fact, it likely just created more buzz and built his mythos during a time when Dylan himself was in seclusion. And today, leaks are often seen as no different from official releases of early singles from an artist's upcoming album. Streaming has changed everything. Diehard fans are still going to buy the music if that's what they're into. 
Good new music is going to generate buzz and sell concert tickets and merch, hopefully. I myself rarely listen to singles from established artists that I like if I can avoid it, because there's something about sitting down and listening to a new album from front to back for the first time. I'm not big on listening to subpar versions of material that will eventually get an official release. I can wait for the real deal. Rare tracks that have never been released or are long out of print, that's a different story. But there was a time not that long ago when an advance album leak could significantly cut into an artist's income. Or at least that was the prevailing fear from the music industry. For mega artists, the damage was arguably immaterial. The Eminem show leaked in May 2002 and still went on to sell more than 10 million copies when it was officially released. Still, that didn't stop superstars from going to extreme lengths to prevent their albums from leaking. The insanely anticipated Jay-Z-Kanye West collaboration Watch the Throne went next-level alias spy tech with their security. Holding all recording sessions in secret hotel room locations with private security. All producers had to deliver beats in person. No digital exchange of any kind. The masters were not delivered until days before the official release, and even then, engineer Anthony Kilhoffer personally transported the material on encrypted hard drives protected by biometric fingerprint readers. But what about new and emerging artists? They can't afford James Bond gadgetry and personal SWAT teams. For a new artist with good buzz building, an ill-timed advance album leak could be a death blow. In the CD and MP3 era, it could drive a label to completely ratchet down their support and back way off of future investments. Why sink money into producing and promoting something that everyone who's interested in already has? Jean Grey was and is an unparalleled talent. She's a superhero in more than just name, and despite all her powers, even she couldn't fend off all the evildoers bent on being shitty and doing unwarranted damage to her promising career trajectory. And why? Ignorance, greed, jealousy. They're envious because they're not like Jean. One dollar. Not two dollar tips at open bar. Keep it that way. There's nothing wrong with partying. That was Not Like Me by Jean Grey from her second studio album, This Week. Officially released in 2004 and officially leaked in 2004. Not only was This Week leaked to the internet in advance of its scheduled date, but so was Jean's third album, Genius, on the same day. This Week eventually got a proper release that year, but Genius, which is even better and still stands as one of her best releases, sat in limbo for four years before finally seeing the light of day. And this is what I'm talking about. It's not easy to capitalize on your buzz as an emerging artist when all of your hotly anticipated new material is flooding peer-to-peer file-sharing services and music blogs. This is what Jean Grey has been up against. And despite it all, she continues to persevere. But let's go back to the beginning because every hero has an origin story. 
Jean Grey has not always shared a name with her X-Men counterpart boasting Omega-level telepathy. Jean was born City Abraham in Cape Town, South Africa on November 26, 1976. Her parents were prominent South African jazz musicians, Sathima B. Benjamin, and Abdullah Abraham. Her parents moved to New York City shortly after Jean was born. She attended LaGuardia High School. Yes, that LaGuardia. She began developing her skills as a writer and MC and was quickly recognized as a superior talent. George Martinez, artist and entrepreneur, recruited her for a five-song demo that his group Ground Zero was working on. At this time, Jean was using the name What What. The demo received critical acclaim and was even the first release ever mentioned in the source's unsigned hype section. From the unsigned hype feature in the source, quote, the demo they've produced shows some real talent on the lyrical and musical ends. The sound is on the funky, hardcore tip, but is not just another run-of-the-mill James Brown cut. With the right guidance, there's potential for rap success here. Gene, but at that time What What, eventually joined the hip-hop group Natural Resource. This material also garnered rave reviews. She began to really develop her production skills during this time under the pseudonym Run Run Shaw. And she just kept getting better and better as a writer and an MC. From the kids in the batting cages to the pro players to the labels and the mob in the bleachers making wages. Looking at the picture like man, what gives? They got one arm fugitive throwing with prosthetic limbs. Look from the team to the umpire means that the man got demoted from stadium to referee and gym. Synonyms from big cheese to the independent label couldn't pay up their debt, so they got cut like unpaid cables. B E I S B O L accent on the old goal. Feel sweat trickling down the back of my neck. Tighten my grip on the bat. Take a swing and it's a technical foul. Nah, that's basketball. Natural Resource broke up in 1998, and Gene decided to go solo. And now she was Jean. I know I've been calling her Jean this whole time, but at this point she formally started going by the name Jean Grey. Some of Jean's best material is not available on streaming. It's actually hard to get anywhere. It's completely out of print. Her first solo album, Attack of the Attacking Things, great name, can be tracked down on YouTube or you can snag an old copy from Discogs. Fortunately, Jean has so much good material that there's plenty readily available. You can buy all her recent releases directly from her Bandcamp, like this song, which is part of an EP trilogy she released in 2013 called Gotham Down. Killscreen uses the theme of the great Fistful of Quarters documentary, which is about competitive Donkey Kong players, and weaves a narrative that, well, you'll see. Shit. Mojave rock got polyglots who molly wop you till your body pop. I'm never sick when my temperature drop is seven up. 1056, hell, praise the rock. I ain't a savior, just your neighbor like amazing Peter. Minus the spider bite, the webs are aren't an uncle, neither. Save the reason and the need to tuck the dynamite to even up the non believers. Jean Gray with Kill Screen from her triple EP, Gotham Down. 
You know, it's a nice kind of return to everything. And I was fascinated with Billy Mitchell because he's like the perfect 80s villain, even if it was just a fucking karate movie. I would want to see him with that hair and just being a complete dick. Um, and Steve was the good guy. You know, you wanted him to win. And if it was a, if it was a movie, just not an actual life, it couldn't have been written any better. And his, um, all right, you could possibly say it was obsessiveness, but um, it was still dedication and passion, and he wasn't douchey about it. And the, you know, the clear line between him and, and Billy was was great. And you know, you had a villain and you had a hero. After Gene's second and third albums were leaked prematurely, she was understandably frustrated. She had reached a creative peak with that third album, Genius, a collaboration with Ninth Wonder for the label Baby Grand Records. Not only did it get blasted to the world for free, but the official release languished for four years while Gene and the label fought to clear samples, eventually choosing to re-record many of the parts they figured were nearly impossible to get approval for. Dean Van Gyen did an excellent story on the troubled project for the website Passion for the Weiss last year, from Dean's article. Quote, but as Jean Grey once telepathically told Charles Xavier, if you knew everything, what is about to happen wouldn't be happening, you bastard. Even the most powerful among us can't boast perfect clairvoyance, especially not in the mid-2000s, when the free-for-all peer-to-peer internet could cause a band like U2 to threaten alterations to their release schedule and throw Fiona Apple's career into chaos. Equally, Gray and Ninth couldn't have known when these idyllic sessions wrapped that the fruit of their creativity was fated to walk a cursed path. We had a lot of issues clearing samples when putting it out on a major when we were doing it, she said. Now I figure it would be dope to go back because there's so many things that got cut from it. Everyone talking in the background, the little things that happen, and the actual feel of the original samples versus playing stuff over the beats, unquote. If I could swim a thousand lakes to bring your life back I write that, but infinity can't rewind facts You are divinity, my primitive mind was struggling Just to understand the meaning of life, forgive me I never told my mommy, I couldn't break a spirit She always wished her daughter extraordinary thinking So I traveled alone, young, 16, got in the habit of not staying at home Even though Genius finally got the real release it deserved, the revised version with re-recorded and missing parts was thought to be overly produced and slightly inferior to the leaked version that preceded it by four years. Demoralized, Gene split from Baby Grand. However, they didn't exactly split from her. In 2008, dumping a barrel of salt into her fresh wounds, Baby Grand Records culled unfinished vocal tracks that Gene had recorded over the years and shipped them over to up-and-coming hip-hop production duo Black Sky Death. They Frankensteined together a brand new Jean Grey record completely without her permission and called it The Evil Genius. The album, which is predictably uneven, still has standout gems because, you know, Jean's good at what she does. When asked about the release during a 2014 Reddit Ask Me Anything session, Jean responded, quote, It was a shit thing to do. Fuck baby grand. Frozen in a coffee shop. About a half a mile, a half a block with Tommy stopped. I had to breathe a second. Wheezing hectic, need disconnected. Nerve shot turned the spots full of cops. God damn. Leg bent, sidestep, dropped in the booth. Jesus. After a short tenure with Talib Kweli's Blacksmith Records, soured on the industry and pissed off at, well, people, Jean Grey announced her retirement from music. She didn't stay retired for long, fortunately. She decided to go completely independent. 
She went really, really independent. In September of 2008, she posted an ad on Craigslist offering to pen 16 bar rhymes for $800. For real. This is from the actual Craigslist ad. Out the hands of big business straight to you. So you got beats, CDs, envelopes, you send it, Pro Tools. Whatever you got, I'll try and I'll find a way to work with it. I work fast, so you'll have them fast. 16's for $800, cause 8's half of 16. Kinda stick it to the man too, who doesn't like that? I like the honor system and was raised on it. So, let's have some fun with it, for once in a long time. Just decided to do this today. Okay, go. Email the address and let's get going. This is real, it's me. I'm blogging about it now on MySpace. Since then, Jean has taken to releasing her music direct to fans via Bandcamp and doing whatever the hell she wants. Seriously. The releases mix genres and frequently defy categorization entirely, but they are all the high quality you expect from a dependable superhero like Jean Grey. An audiobook. An R&B EP. A Christmas comedy thingy. A trio of instructional EPs for adults about how not to be a dick. There's a lot to choose from. So let's choose something from her 2016 EP, Genie. One of the many releases you can pick up directly from Jean Grey's Bandcamp page. Clearly, Jean did not let the music industry BS keep her down. As of this recording, Jean has nearly 50 releases available on Discogs. That's a combination of studio releases, mixtapes, EPs, singles, and compilations. That doesn't even begin to count her ace guest spots on other artists' material. She's also prolific in many other areas. Writer, director, producer... She's guest starred on the TV show Two Broke Girls. She starred on her own web sitcom Life with Jeannie. Life with Jeannie. Life with Jeannie. Life with Jeannie. Show. She's an in-demand speaker. She penned multiple comic series for Marvel. She's written and staged a series of plays that present sequels that never actually happen, like Ghostbusters 2.5. In recent years, she's been very active in comedy and improv. But somehow, the music always pulls her back in. In 2018, she received some long-overdue recognition and some of the best press of her career for her team-up album with husband Quell Chris, Everything's Fine. Welcome back to Everything's Fine, the only game show where there's only one answer to everything. Time to meet our contestants. Let's welcome back last week's champion, Frank. Frank is currently flying high on every drug imaginable just to cope with the day-to-day stresses of surviving in modern times. How are you doing, Frank? Everything's fine. That's just super. Our next... The album scored a Best New Music designation on Pitchfork. This is from the Pitchfork Review. Quote, part biting satire, part cognitive behavioral therapy, their new collaborative album, Everything's Fine, is a gorgeous consideration of how simply existing can beat the fine out of us. There are ways to hear this album is both damning or redemptive, depending on your perspective. But it's never sanctimonious and it's constantly breathtaking. 
Gray and Chris aren't encouraged by the fire raging around them, but they soldier on, as we all must, finding a sort of black humor in the idiocy and the chaos and the sheer absurdity of it all. Sometimes the only way to survive is to be fine. Sometimes all you can do to be fine is laugh. Let's hear a track from Everything's Fine. Here's Peacock. That was Peacock from the 2018 release Everything's Fine by Jean Grey and Quell Chris. Jean continues to do whatever she wants and do it all well. So what have we learned? Jean Grey has and will persevere. Go up against her and you will be defeated. A truly gifted MC who deserves a wider audience. A modern day polymath, if ever there was one. The great and powerful Jean Grey. I'm the reason y'all breathe, reason y'all been here from conception, reason y'all believe in deception and faithfulness. I'll make your destiny and a fate twist, and when I stop coming around, it's hatefulness. I paint bliss when you with me, have you crying, you miss me, lying to your friends. And now it's time to say goodbye. This marks the end of episode five. Thank you so much for listening. Broken Buttons is written and produced by me, Dennis Proctor. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at BrokenButtonZero, that's the number zero, or Dr. Proc. The Broken Buttons theme music is by DJ Chillchamp, outro and interstitial music by Tiny Speakers and Noah Proctor. My thanks to all the authors, artists, interviewers, and publications I reference throughout the episode. You can check out additional references, notes, pictures, and links from the episode and my other musical obsessions at BrokenButtons.com. Oh, and I post playlists of some of my favorite tracks from each artist I cover. You can also contact me if you have a suggested band, artist, release, or other topic for a future episode. You can also just let me know what you think of the show. If you leave a voice memo, I might play it on a future episode. Finally, If you like what you've heard, please consider telling your music fanatic friends about the show. I'll keep digging if you keep listening. Coming up next time, a captivating singer-songwriter who weaves religious imagery and enchanting melodies, who despite her phenomenal talent, couldn't quite overcome her own demons. And then, his angelic falsetto was described as a cross between Alison Krauss and Art Garfunkel, and he wrote some of the most hauntingly beautiful music over the course of a career that was cut far too short. That's all up next on a new Broken Buttons. Baby, I'm crazy about you. Don't like the way you do. Always mistreat me. Say that you love me too. Someday you want me. And I'll be so far from you. Then you will be sorry, baby like you do.